The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan and now back to the podcast enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet when you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features live betting options and the best daily promotions in the business and with BetMGM at your fingertips every play and every game matters more than ever place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. Uh, I just have to start out today's episode with um, my dog diarrheaed all over my ruggable. And if you don't know what a ruggable is, it is a carpet that you get because they're like, the advertising is simple, easy, put it in the washer. If you have a pet, like it's super simple. Okay, Susan. Whoever your whoever invented this ruggable, it's not super simple. I it, every time I've pulled it up to wash it, I'm like sweating. Like it's like I it's such a nightmare. And then they're like, it's so easy to put down. You know the ad where they're like they place it perfectly and they just throw it down. Not true. It takes like an additional twenty minutes to line everything up. So this morning I started my morning up cleaning 
up dog diarrhea for 25 minutes before I had to take my kids to school. My neighbor, I'm pretty sure, is going to call like child protective services because I was like screaming at the top of my lungs, like, get ready. Uh, um, and my husband's out of town in Dallas at a, at a work conference. It just, it was a nightmare. And then of course, to top it all off, I hate my, um, I hate my washing machine and dryer, like with a passion that my washing machine, when it's done, it plays that, that little like song that's like, boop, beep, beep, dee, 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 boop, boop, dee, 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 dee. And I was like, just trying to like get my act together. And then I had to sit there and listen to that. I'm, I'm just having a rough morning. That's what I'm going to say. It's currently Wednesday morning. Uh, and I'm having my like third cup of coffee and I'm about to start the show, but I just wanted to add, they need to like really do some work on that ruggable advertising because not so simple, Susan, it took me like 25 minutes to pull the whole thing up and then put it like stuff it in the washing machine. I've already like, I don't even need to work out today because I've already sweat doing the whole ruggable thing, but I'm going to start the show. So I talk a lot about how much therapy saved my life and how lucky I am to have my amazing therapist, Dr. Nay. But not everybody can get an appointment with Dr. Nay. And I really wanted to break the stigma on getting help or asking for help. So that is why I've partnered with a company called online-therapy.com. They have plans that start around $30 a week and you can get weekly therapy sessions for less than $50 a week. You can also get my 20% off code by going to my website, judgingmegan.com, and you go to the therapy tab. And if you click on the link at the bottom, you can get 20% off your first month. Well, hello, everybody. I am fortunate enough to have my guest on, Amanda Katarzy. Um, she, her story is pretty unbelievable. Uh, we connected um, and I just, I'm very, this is a subject that I think is super important. I've never had a guest come on to talk about um, the sex, tra- sex trafficking topic. And it's so relevant to what's going on in our society. And it's a topic that as a mother to two little girls, I'm terrified. I, I it's, it's just a very, very scary topic, but I don't want to make it the whole like episode dark, but it is so important that we have Amanda on to talk about her life experience, what she's gone through, what she's doing today. Her story is really inspiring to me because she is a survivor And she took all of the trauma of her life and she turned it around and now she's helping others. So anytime I have the opportunity to interview somebody like that, you're, you're my idol. So thank you, Amanda, for coming on. I'm thrilled to have you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm stoked to be here. Okay. Well, thank you. So I'm just going to start by, you know, I want to ask about let's start from the very beginning. I want to, I want you to just start from where you're from, um, talk about maybe the hard things that you had to go through growing up and we'll just go from there. So where are you from? I'm from Sarasota, Florida, which is about an hour South of Tampa. If you know where Tampa is. Yes. Okay. So, 
small family, big family, only like, tell me about your family growing up. I have one older brother, so it's just the two of us. My parents met in the circus, were an Italian circus family. So my family actually, (laughs) my family actually. Oh my gosh, that is so cool. So are you are Italian? Oh yeah. Okay. Like full blown. Oh, like, like you're like, your parents are like off the boat. Italian here. Okay. I love it. Yeah. So well, actually, so my father's grandmother, Mm -hmm. she, her and her siblings were brought from Italy straight to Sarasota by the Ringling Brothers um, because Sarasota was the winter quarters for the Ringling Brothers circus. Um, So that's how we got here. (laughs) And we just stayed here. That is insane. I have, I am so interested in this. I just watched that movie what is the Hugh Jackman movie? I just watched it like two nights ago about the circus. Oh what gosh. Oh, greatest showman. Yes. Yeah. It, and so it's weird that I'm interviewing you two days later after I just watched that, but the circus to me is so, I, I mean, you must have some real stories that would last probably more than an hour of my podcast. Correct. <laughs> I think my parents probably have more stories. So, I mean, they were raised in that environment. They obviously met in that environment. And then they wanted something completely different for their children. So they experienced, you know, rock sex, you know, hardcore, just kind of like a gypsy lifestyle. And yeah. so they wanted something more conservative, more safe, different for my brother and I. And so that's how they kind of got sucked into the cult that we were raised in, which was ultra conservative. Um, It was Christian, and I normally tell people that it's kind of like Amish or Mennonite for them to wrap their brains around it. But if you don't know what that is, it's ultra-conservative Christianity, but with a culty twist to it because there was military involved, there was some trafficking involved, I believe some trafficking involved, a lot of abuse involved. Not my parents. My parents were fantastic. They were doing their very best to break cycles um, but the cult was obviously not a great experience. So go backtracking a little bit. How, like what age were you when they got into this cult? I don't even remember not being in it. Okay. Um, they joined the cult mainly because back in the day, it was the only place really offering homeschooling curriculum. Uh, so that was one of the main attractions for them. They wanted to homeschool their children and Back, you know, 30 years ago, 32 years ago, when it it wasn't cool, there weren't a lot of resources. This cult was offering a solid curriculum uh, for that. So that was really appealing to them and kind of a roadmap on how to raise godly children. So that was something that they were trying to implement into us. Uh, They felt it was safe. They felt it was a, you know, a good choice and a good way to raise children since their parents weren't very great. Yeah. <laughs> they they were just trying to do their best. So I love my parents. I have a great relationship with them now. Uh so I just don't want, you know, them to get a bad rap, but yeah. the but they, when but you they operate, were doing this, they were doing this not understanding I'm assuming that they were joining mm-hmm. a cult because they were being uh, explain how that happened. Like uh, how did they actually I know that it's the homeschooling thing. But I'm I'm assuming because they were good parents that they had no idea that they were getting into some kind of cult, correct? Correct. And they still kind of just believe that it was ultra conservative Christianity. But 
it wasn't. My brothers and I's experience were very different than what the adults experienced. My experience as a young girl coming of age in the cult was very, very different than their experiences. Um, And this potentially set me up for failure later on in my adult life. It groomed me to be very vulnerable and very susceptible to predators once I had become an adult. So explain to me what, okay, so you grew up in this cult, how big, how many people were in it? And it was in Florida? It's massive. It's all over the world. (laughs) Is it still, Uh, is it still, does it still exist? Yep. It's called ATI Advanced Training Institute or IBLP, Institute of Basic Life Principles. And when we were in it, it was big. I think there's been some sexual abuse allegations, some big lawsuits have come against it more recently. So I think they've toned down things a bit, but they have training centers in Indianapolis, uh, Texas, Big Sandy, Texas, Flint, Michigan, all over. Um, So there are hundreds of thousands of people in this group and they train the boys to be military. So there's ranking, military ranking uniforms. And the women are trained to be housemakers and to have a pleasant countenance and to bake bread, sew, and take care of all your husband's needs. Oh my gosh. Okay. So when, at what age did you start to have like physical, where you, did you start to have issues with being sexually assaulted? I was sexually abused outside of the cult. So by a neighbor. Okay. A neighbor uh, molested me. Uh, and I just believe it was because I was already being groomed into the situation of you don't say no to a man. It is, it's in my head that I have to please the men around me. And I don't have the opportunity to go get a job. I don't have the opportunity to go get an education. My sole existence, what God wants from me is to find a husband, marry him, and have as many children as possible and take care of that. That's my calling in life. So my relationship to men, boys was very strange because I'm looking for a husband. And so when they asked me to do things, there was a conflict between what was right and wrong. Those lines were really blurred from the start, from the get-go. So I was sexually abused by a neighbor who's still my parents' neighbor. Um, And... (laughs) Sorry. I'm good. Uh, therapy's awesome, but we'll yeah. get to that later. Yeah. But, um, and then the, just the ideas implemented in me that I'm to be a baby maker. Uh, it didn't really work for me. Well, like I really, really wanted to be that good girl. I really, really wanted to be the perfect wife, but I was sassy. I was obnoxious. I was fiery. And that doesn't fit into Proverbs 31 woman, uh, which is the Bible section that they quote for the perfect woman. And I just didn't fit. I had a bad attitude. <laughs> like I said, I was highly sarcastic. I, the, some of my earliest memories are just rage. I constantly felt rage and just didn't fit in. So there were problems from the get-go. I was always getting into trouble, always getting disciplinary action. I was sent to the Indianapolis Training Center to be rehabilitated. Uh, that didn't work. <laughs> so eventually we got kicked out because of me. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's a lot. What age were you with, with the neighbor though? Like, did that start? I was early? seven. Okay. So seven, that's devastating. I have a seven-year-old. I am so, I'm so sorry. And no wonder you had rage. No wonder, you know, like, uh, I, I, 
it's awful. I'm so sorry. But just to, just so you know, um, I'm a hothead too. And I, I sometimes consider being a hothead and sarcastic and all the things that I am a superpower. And it sounds to me like that could be your superpower because it got you out. A hundred percent. I mean, we put our, we put these uh, definitions and labels on things that are actually exactly what you said, our superpowers are gifting. So what was labeled as something negative, as a rebellious spirit, was actually my ambition, my go-getter, my entrepreneur spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, And they just, they didn't fit into one of their boxes. So they labeled it as something negative. So what age were you when you were kicked out of the, out of the cult? We I was about 15. Um, and it was kind of a culmination of me not fitting in, us only having two children, mm-hmm. kind of a shameful thing. We're okay. supposed to have many, many. The Duggar family, are you familiar with the 19 yes. and counting show? Yeah. So they're an ATI. They're an ATI family. Uh, so it was considered um, very shameful that we only had two children in our family. Um, and there wasn't racism per se in the cult, but the fact that when I tan, I look different nationality completely. So there was already kind of that going on too. They kind of prefer the blonde hair, blue eyed kind of people, (laughs) which is all good, but I'm not that. Um, And so it was a culmination of us being different, us not having as many family members, my bad attitude. And then uh, we had finished high school. So I graduated high school at 15. So we were done with the curriculum and um, I was starting to enroll in college classes online. So things were starting to shift. And that's when my parents were kind of like, eh, we're kind of done with this. And I started going to my local community college in person. And that was absolutely mind blowing for me. And and let me ask you something. I had no idea about the Duggars. I don't watch the show. I know who they are. I w- I thought that they were Mormon. So that's so interesting to know that. Mm-hmm. And, and can I ask you a question? Is this cult similar to like Scientology or is it just no, like it's, totally... it's very much Christian. Okay. So, I mean, Bible, like you have to memorize massive amounts of scripture. There's a lot of forced fasting. Um, so basically they starve you. Um, so I have, a, I had a lot of eating issues, food issues because of fasting. I had a lot of binging issues with food. Uh, so it was just really crazy Christianity. Um, not true. I'm a Christian now. I love God. You know, whatever. That's not him. <laughs> That's uh, not who he is. But what I what I wanted to know is, did they did they get was there recruiting? Like you know how Scientology they're like all about recruit. Okay, they didn't need to. People came in droves. They were they were making buco money from okay. all their seminars and trainings and courses. They, and then they had a orphanage in Russia and they're bringing children over from Russia and placing them with families. So that's where I don't even know how that went down or what was going on there, but there were massive, there were, they would just bring over hundreds of children from Russia to here. No training, no foster care certification, just bring the kids over and put them with families. Uh, so that was looking back now, I was like, oh, that was a little sketchy. <laughs> And they also have a college as well in Flint, Michigan called Verity. 
Okay. I mean, this whole thing baffles my mind. It's it's crazy to me that these organizations still exist. I, it's it's scary, really. Um, and then when what age? So you got out around fifteen. Your mm-hmm. your brother and your parents were out too. How how did you start to get? What happened then that you were involved in the sex trafficking? Was that later? Yeah. That was a couple of years later. I rebelled the best way I knew how, which was going to an extreme charismatic Christian school. (laughs) That was my rebellion in California, which was considered Sodom and Gomorrah uh, for a Bible reference, like the most evil place you could go in America. Really? (laughs) I live in California. Interesting. I loved, I lived five (laughs) years. So um, in it was not Sodom and Gomorrah. So, yeah. um, but I went to a very extreme charismatic Pentecostal school, which is basically a Harry Potter school for Christians. Um, and it was a really positive experience for me. So I started discovering things. I had a meltdown the first time I went to a grocery store because I had no idea who I was. I never had the opportunity to figure out even the foods I liked. So when I walked into a grocery store to buy things, I didn't know. I didn't know if I actually liked peanut butter or not because I was never given the choice or the option to make up my mind about something even that small. So it was a really positive time for me trying to figure out those types of things. Um, So I did three years of school of ministry. I graduated and then I started working for the school as their media um, content manager. And that's when everything kind of went to shit. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, so I can't, I, that's, that baffles my mind that you were that age and didn't, that's crazy. You'd never gone in a grocery store. They, they, everything you had to eat, they set for you. So that's why you had all kinds of food issues. My parents did. I'd been inside grocery stores, but making choices about what was given to me I mean, to have an opinion about something like that was you had just, never had that before. You, I couldn't have opinions yeah. about what food I wanted. That was unladylike. That was undesirable. So that was just never something I could decide. <laughs> wow. I mean, just the fact that we, we like, that's not even something people would even think about. That's crazy to me. So, okay. Mm-hmm. So then when you got, you were in your role in your, I think you said an administrative role or at the university, that's when you started to have, get into like another dark period of your life. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's, I was a content manager for their media company and I, I'd had community for the first three years because I was in school. So you're in classes, you're in study groups, you're in these little communities they build for you. And once I graduated, I didn't have those communities anymore. And I did not know how to relate to my peers in a peer-to-peer way. I only knew how to relate to them in a service way. So when I didn't have, you know, community created for me, I fell back to those insecurities into those old ways of interacting with men and women. So women were competition and men were something that I had to win. I had to make them like me better than everybody else because I needed a husband because I needed to make babies because I needed to fulfill God's purpose for my life, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you were going back to your old ways of the habits that were our lifelong habits. I mean, it would probably, mm-hmm. I would be, I would imagine um, that would, 
it would be nearly impossible without therapy to break those kinds of cycles and that kind of behavior. So did you find yourself, um, how, how did you end up getting into the trafficking? Was that shortly thereafter? I, yeah, I started going to a gym, an MMA gym, because, I, you know, I gained weight in the college years. And I was like, oh, this is fun. I've never been allowed to, like, punch things. And I had so much suppressed rage that it was amazing. It was like coming home. And these people around me, they're great people. Uh But MMA gyms tend to attract some dysfunctional figures every now and then. And Uh this was highly dysfunctional uh, people in the gym who were talking about their emotions. They were talking about their hardships. They were open books. And I never heard anyone talk like that before, talk about their depression, anxiety. And it was amazing to me because I'd never experienced that. That was completely off limits. And I thought it was like really cool. It was highly dysfunctional and they had no boundaries at all. And there was tons of codependency happening. So I started sharing, hey, this is where I came from. This is what I experienced. Basically telling everyone that I am insanely naive, insanely vulnerable. Come take advantage of me. (laughs) And so one of them was a predator and my trafficker. And he zeroed in on me and we started dating uh, what I thought was dating. And he started breaking me down. He started the process of what is called grooming process, yeah. uh, which is basically just a breaking down of your boundaries, your morals, what you feel to believe is true. And he knew all about me. So he knew uh, what he could manipulate in order to get me to do whatever he wanted me to do. What age were you at this point? I'm about 22, 23. Okay. And how old was this man? He was in his forties. Okay. I mean, this all makes sense. I mean, you obviously, um, I've talked about this before. I have daddy issues too. When I was young, mm-hmm. I would date before I met my husband, I dated men that were in their forties. Cause I had some, lost my dad. And, you know, I think a lot of times people that have gone through trauma, like you have, or I have tend to look towards men to take care of them to obviously you had this pattern of being like wanting to be the wife, wanting to have babies, putting your vulnerability out there. It's, it's crazy that they do. There's so many predators out there that just like target people based on what they, how they act, what they say or do. And here you are just trying to live your life, trusting people, having a second chance and it comes around again. So I am very sorry to hear that. So what, so then what ended up happening? So you were in a relationship with this predator. And it just starts to turn south. So Mm -hmm. everybody thinks that, oh, getting into sex trafficking is this huge momentous, something big happens and now you're chained to a bed. Well, that's maybe like 1% of the cases actually in the U.S. They're, they look more like these really codependent, insanely toxic, manipulative, coercive relationships. So I believe that he's my boyfriend. I was aware that he had two other baby mamas in his life because he had children with them. So I'm like, okay, like, yeah, that's totally normal. He's still with these other women. They're part of his stable. They're part of what he's doing. I just was so naive thinking like, oh, it's they're sweet. They're just his baby mamas. It's not a big deal. Um, I'm his woman. Yeah, no. 
Um, so they just slowly start eroding away your boundaries. Like I said, so he like is like, hey, this is whenever I'd question something, it would be like, hey, that guy really thinks you're hot. And that really turns me off. What? Like, what are you talking about? And oh, no, I think it's it's hot when other guys want you. starting to erode away that idea of one man, one woman together, you know, being in an exclusive relationship. I'd be like, okay, that's like kind of weird. And, or if he wanted me, he's like, go flirt with them, go flirt with them and see what he does. Cause he would get off on like, but you're coming home with me. All these men want you, but you're coming home with me. Um, and when I would question him, he would be like, well, this is how adults do relationships. You don't know. So I'm teaching you. So I'm showing you, this is how adults do relationships. You were never shown the right way. Hi. And so you kind of, you know, there were many in the beginning, there were many situations that I was uncomfortable with. But I was so desperate for his approval of me. I was so desperate for his love of me. I was going to make this work mm-hmm. uh, that I was willing to ignore those red flags and kind of just push past those things. And then, of course, he's in MMA with me. He's one of my trainers. So we're training together. He's making me promises of you're going to become a, a professional fighter. He's getting me all these fights. He's my fight manager. Uh, so there's a lot tied to this relationship. It wasn't just the relationship. It was my future career as a fighter. It was everything that I was putting my blood, sweat, and tears quite literally into. Uh, so there was a lot to lose if I walked away. So, but then how did it turn? So it was like little by little where he was like manipulating you, training you. It's interesting that we're having this conversation right now with um, the whole R. Kelly case. That is, you know, he's mm-hmm. hopefully will spend the rest of his life in prison, by the way. Yes. Um, so, but that sounds to me like the same kind of stuff that he was doing. And then these mm-hmm. poor young girls were trapped in his, like, I watched that whole documentary trapped mm-hmm. in this, this house with him. And then they were kind of like hypnotized. It was, so is that the kind of thing that was happening with you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was insane. And I was slightly aware that it was insanely toxic and I was being manipulative, manipulated and coerced, but it was poisoning me. There was, I felt powerless to the situation and I had given up so much to be, I'd given up so much of myself, Mm -hmm. of um, my boundaries, of my morals to be with this person. I had to make it count for something. So you hold on to these toxic relationships because you got to make it worth it. You got to make it worth all the bad times. And they, of course, they take you on that roller coaster of really good moments, really high moments. And then there's those really horrific moments. So when he started turning me out, which is the term used for when traffickers groom a girl and then they turn her out. So that means they're selling her. So I start going to these parties, where, which are essentially orgies after fights with him. Um, and he starts putting me in these dangerous situations where I basically am believing that I'm getting raped, which I am getting raped, um, but he's getting paid for it. And I didn't realize that until much later on when I hacked into his phone and saw all the transactions going on about me. Um, so he was orchestrating these rape kind of situations between all of these other fighters and people who were at fights um, and getting paid for it. And they got off on the thrill of fighting me, you know, cause I'm a fighter. So I'd fight obviously, um, because they're all fighters. And so that was like part of 
the turn on and the sexual experience. And then uh, eventually that turned into don't fight back um, because they'll, I can't fight, you know, men who weigh 150 pounds more than me and they're going to beat the living daylights out of me anyways. So in order to survive, I shouldn't fight. I should pretend that I like it because that's the only way I'm going to get through this without another concussion, without another broken bone, without, you know, coughing up blood for another week. Where were your parents during this time? Were you living with this man? Yeah. yeah. So they're in Florida and I'm in California. Okay. And he has me, he was Native American. So he had me up on the Native American reservation, isolated, which is what traffickers do, um, in a cabin with no running water, no electricity. It was beautiful. It was Northern California, gorgeous. Um, So I chopped wood every day. You know, we were in it together and it was made very clear that if I went anywhere on the reservation without him, I was going to be either tortured, raped, or murdered. And so even his mother has a giant scar on her throat where her husband slit her throat. And that story was told to me multiple times that the same would happen to me if I acted out or if I didn't behave. How how many men were at these parties that he would, I don't know. You don't even know. I can't. Did you have you blocked a lot of this out, Amanda? Yeah, I think so. Um, And also, I was having so many concussions because he was also labor trafficking me at the same time. What does that mean? What is labor trafficking? So, labor trafficking is doing some sort of work or service and you don't get paid for it. You're just kind of, you know, either they, for people who are immigrants, they hold their passports or threaten them with deportation. In my case, they were going to kill me um, or I, I was being set up for all these different fights on all these different reservations. So I was fighting, cage fighting, MMA fighting every weekend. That's were not you good. By, were <laughs> you by yourself? Were there other women that they were doing this to? There were other women sometimes that I would okay. fight, but they were brutal. So on a res fight as a Caucasian woman, that's automatically just not a safe place for you. Even if you win, they're going to jump you and shank you in the parking lot. So it was extremely violent. So he was my only safe person. So he set up these situations over and over and over again, that even though he was my abuser orchestrating all this, he was the only safe person during all of these experiences. I mean, this is just heartbreaking. I am so sorry that you went through this. How how did you get out? Like, let's talk about what what was your breaking point? How did you escape? Yeah, so I was so um, obsessed with him and messed up in the head that I had my own car and drove around and would sometimes drive myself to these appointments because if I didn't, I'd get in big trouble. So I went to go fight this guy and. I guess, get raped by him. Um, and his name, his fight name was actually Shameless, which is ironic. But I didn't want to, I don't know what got into me that night. I'm like, I am not getting raped tonight. So I knocked him out. Um, and I was leaving the gym and somebody ran the light and T-boned my truck and totaled my truck and knocked me out. And that's the first time I've ever been knocked out by a Canadian in a Cadillac. <laughs> oh my God. Um, and there was a police officer right behind me. So uh-huh. he saw the accident happen, you know, it was hundred percent her fault. And he, I woke up to him opening the door They had like wedged the door open. And he's like, I thought you were dead. That's the first thing he said to me. 
And I was like, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Fine. I'm used to having concussions. Like, this is a totally normal feeling for me. Little did I know I had a severe brain trauma. Um, and, you know, I get out of the car. I text my trafficker and I said, um, hey, I just almost died in a car accident. And he texts me back and he says, is your face fucked up? And I said, no. And he goes, well, at least you're so fuckable then. Um, and at that moment, <laughs> it was like, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'm being sex trafficked. I'm in a highly abusive relationship. It was something isn't right. This isn't who I'm supposed to be. This isn't what I want for my life. And I was very aware that I had a super small window of time that I would be this aware, that, that my thoughts would be this clear and I needed to act immediately on them. Uh, so that was the beginning of my escape. So how long did, how long were you actually in that relationship before you started the process of escaping? It was, it was a little over eight months. Okay. Um, it's really foggy, uh, but, and, and I knew him for a while before we were involved. So I would say eight months completely. And so how did you, so what, so you got in the accident did somebody come help you? Like, how did you get out? I called a John. So someone who had raped me in the past, who I felt comfortable enough with. I called him and said, hey, can you come pick me up and take me to a, my apartment? Because I had an apartment in the city that he paid for. Um, and so he took me there because I'm like, no, no, I don't need to go to the hospital. I'm fine. I ate a bunch of ice. I remember I ate a whole gallon of ice cream and went to bed. Um, and then sometime in the middle of the night, I woke up and the trauma was hitting me pretty hard because I was coming out of kind of like the disassociation that I had put myself in permanently. And I was insanely suicidal. And I ended up swallowing a whole bottle of pills, um, trying to kill myself. Um, and I, they told me I died. I don't remember any of this. I do remember when I came to he was, my trafficker was like making me throw up and like, I guess an attempt to pump my stomach or something, but somehow I survived. Um, he had something else he needed to take care of. I think there was something on the reservation going down. So he left me there and he was pretty sure I didn't have a vehicle or anything. So he didn't think I would get out, but I did. Um, I went and got a puppy because I figured I wouldn't kill myself again if I got a dog. So that was my rational. And so she's here. She's she's my my pit bull. I love her so much. And I bought a plane ticket and I left. I just left. Every, I was still working for the ministry school during the day. Um, so I had a career. I had my apartment. I had all my stuff from living there for five years. And I just left. Where did you completely. go? Did you go home? I went home. I went back you to went Florida. Home. Okay. And did he try to come after you? What happened then? No, he didn't. And I was still in love with him. Yeah, You know, whatever I thought I knew what love was then. And I wanted him to come after me so bad. And I'm like, listen, this is where I'm at. If you want me, come get me. And I wanted him to come get me. That's how messed up in the head you get. And, uh, and I told myself you, I would wait until June. Um, so it's February and I'm like, you'll wait till June. And if he doesn't come get you, then you'll move on with your life. Um, so I was living with my parents. They were fantastic. They had, I was a rageaholic at that point. My PTSD was like out the 
ceiling. I had no idea what was wrong with me. They had no idea what was wrong with me. So God bless them. They created space for me just to be in all of my messiness. And I started pursuing mental health. I, I had figured out that I was in an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I just started consuming books and podcasts and anything I could find on the internet about women who are abused and how to heal yourself. Um, and once I, after a while, I got into a place to where I was like, okay, I feel like maybe eight months after I'm like, I feel like I'm healthy. I'm going to start helping other women. So I applied at a couple different jobs and I had some social work experience prior to all of this. Um, so I applied for this place called Sela Freedom and they're an anti-sex trafficking organization and still not knowing that I'm a survivor of trafficking. And I became their intake counselor, and I, which is you read all the stories of these women and determine if they were victims of sex trafficking. If they are, cool, you come into our program. So I'm reading these stories and I'm like, this is sounding a lot like what I experienced. Like, yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. I went to my boss. I'm like, hey, this was my experience before I moved back to Florida. And she's like, oh, my God. <laughs> like you didn't like you were so wounded. Mm-hmm. And, and I, my other question is, did you, did you have, um, like you must have had some brain injury, like some issues with your brain after having oh, yeah. been being concussed that often and just the accident, yeah. how did that affect you? I mean, is that part of why, like now you maybe can't remember things? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So when it, when the accident first happened, like for that week or so, I couldn't finish my sentences. I couldn't figure out how to order a pizza. I had no idea where my truck was. I could not put things together. And that's when um, they, you know, I went to the hospital eventually and they're like, yeah, you have severe brain trauma. There are no brain bleeds, but your brain is scrambled. And ever since then, I have difficulties sometimes talking. I got like, there are bad days and there are good days. And I know as soon as I wake up, if it's going to be an easy one or a hard one. Um, and that's just from the damage that has happened to my brain. And that also causes a lot of rage. That also causes a lot of um, hormonal issues. And it also causes a lot of, um, I just react to things. So my impulse control is kind of eroded away from that. So I have to be very aware of my actions. Otherwise, I'll go get 10 puppies. I'll go quit this. I'll go set fire to that bridge, you know. Yeah. Um, so I have to be very aware of that even now, um, like nine years later. Are you, are you on any kind of medication? I probably should be. Okay. Um, no, cause we are my, I'm married. And so my husband and I are okay. trying to have babies. So none of the mental health meds really work very well yeah. with the fertility stuff. So, <laughs> well, I understand that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, personally on an antidepressant, um, anti-anxiety Zoloft, but I fought that for a really long time. And if anything, I'm kind of like trying to lean on weaning myself off and doing different kinds of therapy. So you said in the beginning, are you in therapy right now? Oh yeah. Yeah. All the time. Like it's constant. I've been with my, and so the anti-sex trafficking organization immediately sent me to the therapist that they used for all of their survivors. So I'm seeing one of the best rapid resolution trauma therapists in the country. Um, and I'm still seeing him. So it's been about eight years. And I mean, I see him regularly now. What is rapid revo- resolution? I don't know what that is. 
Sure. So they really focus on resolving your trauma. So they usually when you have PTSD, it lives in the uh, short term memory. Mm -hmm. And so it's taking that trauma, uh, removing the emotional and neural connections to it and putting it in your long term memory. So it becomes like a grocery list. Is it is it similar to because I am actually was diagnosed with complex PTSD stemming from childhood? Is it similar to EMDR, which actually I am just starting? Yeah, a lot of people relate it to that. So yeah, yeah, super similar. A lot of the same techniques, a lot of grounding techniques, a lot of um, their whole theory is that your brain brain cannot think in reverse. So. Um, the first time we seen anything happen in reverse was with your VCR. You could rewind things. So one of the things they do is you say something that happened that was positive. You say, you know, your trauma, whatever that particular instance is. And then you say something good again, all in detail. So I tell him all this stuff and then he repeats it back to me in reverse. And we do that like a couple times. And your brain starts to break that neuro attachment it has to that memory and some it, it's the craziest thing and i'm like laughing at him the first time he's doing this cuz i'm like this motherfucker like yeah, yeah, yeah. he has no idea like really yeah. bro you want to you want to remove my trauma okay um and so i'm like laughing i'm like this this guy's an idiot and he did it like five times and i was like oh my god it helped like i yeah and yeah. so we you just keep chipping away at it and we just kept chipping away at it And now I can talk freely about, I can go super detailed about what happened, um, gruesome details about different things that happened and have no emotional consequence, have no nightmares. I mean, I'll continue my day perfectly fine. And, and no, and like, you don't cry, like you can tell a story without crying and just kind of, that's really, it's, it's amazing what the mind's able to do and how therapy. I say it all the time. Therapy saved my life. Going Mm -hmm. back a little bit. So once you identified that you were in, in a, uh, being sex trafficked was the, and you were in this organization, how, like, how did, like, what were the next steps? They got you into therapy. You were, were you a counselor? Did you stay a counselor? No, I wasn't okay. a counselor. I worked every single part of this organization. So okay. I worked in the safe houses. I worked as an intake counselor. Um, I worked as a case manager at one point. I worked a lot of undercover stuff just because of my own experience. I really understood a lot of what were, was going through these survivors' heads. And I've got tons of tattoos. So working undercover was super easy for me. Um, so we worked, I worked with a number of different government organizations um, to bus trafficking rings. I, I was a Florida gang specialist. So I studied all the gangs. I knew everything I could pass as a Latin queen because I've got a crown tattoo. Um, so there was a lot of stuff that I could throw on the accent, throw on the sass and really get into character and bust up these trafficking rings. So that was a blast. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. It was it was hard. Obviously, there are hard moments. There's there are very dangerous and scary moments, but it was really cool to be able to sit down with these women and be like, I've been in the same seat you're sitting in right now. Um, here's my story. This can be your story too. Do you want it? Do you want to get out? You know, and they would cuss and scream and attack you and all this stuff, but seven to ten points of contact, 
they would be in safe houses. <laughs> you, you know what? You, this, uh, you make me want to cry. I am so, I don't know you. Today is the first time we ever met. You are amazing. You are amazing. And what, Thanks. and the fact that you turned this around and, and you took this trauma and you're helping other people and you did this. It's amazing. I mean, it's the way I win, right? If yeah. I, if I stayed a victim, he wins. Yeah. I'm not going to let him win. Like he thought he was ruining my life. He thought he was manipulating a stupid little girl. Jokes on him. He was training me to be the best anti-sex trafficking specialist in the nation. Jokes on him. Are you still, so where are you now? Are you still doing that? No, I, okay. I quit two years okay. ago. So I did social work for about 10 years, okay. uh, nine or 10 years. Um, my last job was with DCF, uh, Department of Children and Families. So I was helping children in foster care um, and helping get them out of sex trafficking because that's a huge problem uh, through foster care. It's also a huge problem in Florida is parents will sell their children for drugs. So um, that's super common. Um, and most people don't realize that. That's very, very common. Wait a second. People are selling their children for drugs. Yes. Because people I, want children because they're clean. Um, and you can sell children for a lot more drugs than you can a, an adult. This makes me sick. I, it's like something you don't even want to know about. But And I think that's why most people don't talk yeah. about it. Because yeah. it feels so overwhelmingly dark and heavy. Uh-huh. Because it is the second most illegal enterprise in America. There's drugs, there's sex trafficking, and then there's illegal arms. You hear about drugs and guns all the time. You don't hear about our sex trafficking problem. You hear about Thailand's sex trafficking problem. You hear about Africa's sex trafficking problem. America's sex trafficking problem is huge. It is. Okay. And is there certain areas that it's a bigger problem than others? Yeah. Any border states, obviously, um, they use the same interstates that drug trafficking uses. So if you've ever seen one of those um, drug route maps, it's all the major highways. Same with sex trafficking. They're going to move girls around, men, women, children around because it helps them keep, keep them disoriented. And it's hard to keep track of somebody if they're moving to a different state every other day. Are they, are these um, people, are these children that are sold from foster care? Are they also victims of being like kidnapped? Are they like, how do you know that? Foster care is a little tricky because these kids are already used to the idea that they, their life is equated with a paycheck. Um, so they're already, I mean, and there's no easy way to go about fixing this. Um, so it's an issue. So we're already putting into their heads that they're a paycheck. Um, so if they can actually take control of when they get raped by whom they get raped and they get the money for it, that feels like control to them. That feels empowering to them. Um, but it's still considered sex trafficking, even if the child is willing because a child cannot consent. So sex trafficking is defined as any sexual um, thing in exchange, act in exchange for something of value. That can be chicken nuggets. That can be a place to sleep. That can be clothes. Um, And sexual act can be a sexual act. It can be pornography. It can be anything sexual. 
um, in exchange for that. And the only difference between adults and children is, like I said, adults or children cannot consent. So it's any sex act in exchange for something of value. For adults, it's any sex act in exchange for something of value through um, coercion, manipulation, or abuse. Is this is this a um, an issue? And like you said, I know about it, but it's not something that like you see on the news every day. Just like you know, um, you see these the new. I I think I try to watch <laughs> the news on both sides because everything's skewed a certain way. Totally. Um, but what I wonder is what is happening with this? Like, are is there like are, is this all like kept quiet for a reason? Like, why don't we hear about it? Um, my theory is because this used to be considered a left issue um, before the whole Q thing, before the whole conspiracy stuff, all the Pizzagate made it a right thing. Um, yeah, well, that is that is a conspiracy, QAnon and all of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah, wh- yeah, whatever they are, yeah. it took it from left to an extreme right. Got it, got um, it. So, so it politicized it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so now it's, if you talk about sex trafficking, people automatically assume you're a Q person, you're a right person, you're a Republican, you love, you know, all these yeah. things. Whereas before it was the total opposite. So it's kind of interesting. So it's kind of off limits now. And unfortunately, it's really damaged uh, the issue. So now it's, well, is sex trafficking a conspiracy? So now it's really damaged the truth and hidden the truth. And I think a lot of people feel really overwhelmed with this subject because, again, there is no easy solution to this. Um, And people don't like to hear about bad stuff that they can't fix. Um, And I'm here to tell you that it's actually really easy to change. Okay, so what so what if you're one of my listeners or you're me? living on a cloud and didn't realize how bad this issue was, what can just like the regular person do to get involved and help? Um, I mean, you can get involved with organizations. You can get involved with Sela Freedom. They're national. They're all over the United States. So they're always looking for volunteers and people. It's called, to... it's called Sale of Freedom. Is that what it's called? It's called Sela, S-E-L-A-H. Okay. Freedom. Um, and... Sela Freedom. I consider them one of the best anti-sex trafficking organizations in the nation. Obviously, I'm biased because I worked for them, but they're one of the few organizations focusing on domestic sex trafficking. All these big-time organizations that you hear about are going overseas. Um, And I'm of the theory, hey, let's fix what's in our backyard before we go to the Homeowners Association meeting and tell Janet to paint her house a different color. You know, like, let's fix the problems in our own backyard. So I'd say, you know, you can, there's tons of volunteer opportunities there. And then my big thing is if you're a powerful, healthy person and you're making space for other powerful, healthy people to be in your world, then you're eliminating the need for dysfunctional things within your circle. So quick, quick, quick story. I was sitting in uh, Thailand, Bangkok, doing undercover work for sex trafficking, and I was in a brothel. And there are seven-year-old girls stripping on stage. Neon pink bikinis. They have little numbers on them. You can order one of them with your Coke. Um, And so I'm sitting there. I'm like, man, I could kill every single person in here. I'm looking around. All these American men. Wedding wedding rings on their fingers. In suits. And I'm like, I can kill every single one of these people. Grab the girls and get out. And I'm like, but that doesn't solve anything. These men are just as broken and traumatized as these young people 
because they're convincing themselves. I take a 22 hour flight to a different country, spend tons of money and rape a little girl to feel loved. How broken are these men? And how did they get to this place to where they're rationalizing this thing? Um, And so that set me on a journey of making sure every single man that's in my realm of influence is getting his needs met in a healthy way. Obviously, um, I'm married. Like, I'm not going to go out there and, you know, make sure everyone's getting their sexual needs. But creating space and creating conversations of, hey, this is how you act as a healthy male. Hey, this is how I act as a powerful woman and a healthy woman. And when I'm powerful and healthy and whole, I'm creating space for those men to be the same. And I'm inviting them to be the same, to get your needs met in a healthy, functional way, making sure that they're set up for success in every way possible that I interact with them, whether they're, it's my husband, my brothers, my, my business partners, whatever. So, so uh, this is so upsetting. I, I mean, I'm so happy that you're talking about it because it's so important. This is kind of, it's kind of like this, like living under a rock and just thinking it doesn't exist and it's better to know about it. And hopefully we can all do something about it because I'm being honest with you. I did not know this. I sound, I feel very naive. Um, I What I was going to ask you is, uh, where are you now? So you're, you're married, which congratulations. That's amazing (laughs) that you pulled yourself out, that you've done all this stuff. And now you're trying to have a baby. Yeah. I've been married for two years and he is, I love him. You're in a healthy, good relationship. You pulled yourself out. It can happen. Everyone can happen. Yeah. And the, the hardest part, I think for a lot of people with this kind of trauma or if you've been in an abusive, toxic relationship is you get so addicted to the highs and lows that when something's healthy, it feels wrong. It feels boring. And learning to uh, unlearn that and fall in love with the vanilla and the and the calm and the peaceful and the balance, that's true success. Yeah. And that was a hard process for me to learn. Him not screaming at me and him not, you know, I almost got really graphic there and him yeah, not, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. being really loving to me, like those highs and lows that you get addicted to, you have to get unaddicted to those things. And you have to be like, oh, we have our little routine. We have our picket white fence. We respect each other. We're both powerful people. Like <laughs> you got to fall in love with the vanilla. Yeah. Um, and that was a process for me. And yeah, now we're in the middle of, I'm, I have a lot of fertility issues um, and probably the consequences of a lot of the abuse trauma. and yeah. trauma. And so we've lost three babies. I just lost my son um, four months ago and had to give birth to him um, while he was already passed. So, and I almost actually ended up bleeding out and dying in the bathtub. Um, but so we're still in the process of going to fertility specialists and seeing if that's in the cards for us. Okay. Um, so I have to, that- I have to say something to you right now. I am so sorry for that loss. I, I went through fertility stuff. I interviewed this amazing woman. Her name is Karen Rich. Um, I want to connect you both. And, and okay. she did, she did a podcast, a couple of podcasts back about fertility. Um, and, um, 
she mainly deals with like secondary fertility, but I, she's a wonderful, wonderful woman. And I, and I believe that she can point you in the right direction. And sometimes we come into each other's lives for different reasons. So I, I want to, I'm going to connect you both. And I, again, I'm so sorry that you had to, that you've had so much, so much on your plate. It's, it's some people just, it's unbelievable to me that some people go through so much in their lives and, but yet your smile and your positivity and like the fact that you're helping others, I just, I think you're amazing, Amanda. And I'm just really, I hope I, we stay connected Um, I know now after talking to you that I would like to get involved somehow you can point me in the right direction. And if my listeners want to find you or connect with you, how can they do that? On Instagram. I live on Instagram. So I'm a, I'm a content creator. So I live on there and my handles, my name, Amanda Katarzy. Okay. And I don't follow you yet, but I'm going to follow you after this. And my, and my handle is judging Megan. (laughs) Which is really easy because it's my podcast. Um, in closing, I just, again, I, I could probably spend another two hours talking to you about all of this. I think it's so, it's so sad and tragic, but the fact that you've pulled yourself out and you're helping other people and you're living your life to help others is what it's all about. And I know Mm -hmm. that baby is in your future. I can already feel it. And you and Karen are going to connect And I'm looking forward to like all the great things that you're going to say and do and be in your future. In closing, I usually say, everyone, keep living, keep praying and keep growing. And I said in my last podcast, I'm not going to say that anymore because I'm changing it now to be happy by making others happy. And Mm -hmm. Amanda, like that's what I believe that you're doing you're, you're living your life to try and make other people happy and helping them escape all of this trauma and you're doing it and you're living it. So thank you. And thank you everyone for, for, for tuning in and listening. Thank you for your reviews. If you do want to leave me a review on Apple, I would love it. Uh, you can go to judge, you can go to my podcast, judging Megan, And below it, you'll see like you can leave five stars and then you'll see reviews at the bottom underneath those reviews. You can hit write a review and leave me a review. I I appreciate these reviews. It helps new listeners find me. Um, And I just want to thank you all. Thank you, Amanda. You're an inspiration. Have you heard of Instacart? If you have not heard of Instacart, I don't know where you have been living because it saved my life. I don't have to go to the grocery store. I can get my stuff delivered to my house. And if you go to judgingmegan.com forward slash Instacart, you will get $35 off of your first order if you've never ordered before. So I would say get on there right now and skip your trip to the grocery store.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.